You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. All right. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at chapter 2. We've uh, started a couple weeks ago, and we went through chapter 1, and Dale did the rest of chapter 1 and started chapter 2, and so I'm kind of starting back with the start of chapter 2, and we're just going to look quickly through chapter 2 today. There's a, uh, <laughs> a new pastor, I think it was in Ireland or Scotland, probably, let's say Scotland, and he was brand new to it, and uh, he... He uh, was getting his first chance to preach, and um, the uh, let's turn that way back down. <laughs> he uh, he called this old pastor, and he's like, "What? Do, hey, it's my first time preaching. What do I need to preach on?" And the guy wrote him a le- or wrote him a letter back saying, "Well, preach on God and preach about twenty minutes." So that's probably. <laughs> We're going to try to keep it 20, 30 minutes and preach on God this morning. That's the goal. So uh, what we see in 1 Corinthians is the, um, uh, this letter that Paul, Paul writes to um, the church in Corinth. And um, this, this is a brand new church, and it's, it's relatively young, and it's already having some issues and some divisions and so they've they've confronted Paul. They've they've contacted Paul and said, "Hey, this is what's going on. What do we need to do? How do we need to move forward?" And so, through chapter one and in the start of chapter two, here we've seen we've talked about that Paul has made a point to tell them that every Christian belongs to God, and and then he also makes it clear that God enriches every Christian with gifts, and he also. Uh, goes on to say that every Christian possesses Christ. So if you are a Christian, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. So looking at uh, this division and, and what's going on in this church, he asks them this question in, in 1 Corinthians 1.13. He asks them, is Christ divided? And so we asked that question here that morning about two Sundays ago, and we asked and answered that question, and the answer is no. We know that Christ isn't divided. We know that the Lord our God is one. And so uh, next we saw Dale teach on uh, that without the uh, wisdom of the Holy Spirit that the gospel doesn't make sense to the world. In fact, uh, it says that the good news is folly to those who don't know Jesus, who don't have his spirit. But God reaches down and chooses us. That's what we see there at the end of chapter 1 is that God chooses us. And he chooses us to be brought into his fold, into his family, so that he can use us to share his message of the gospel to this lost and, and uh, broken world. So that's, that's where we've made it so far. And I, as I was thinking about this, Whitney and I, we went and saw a, a movie. We had date night, uh, thanks to Maggie over there. Um, <laughs> we, we we were able to go on a date night, so we went and got something to eat. We went and watched a movie, and we watched uh, this movie, uh, American Underdog, and it's a it's a true story movie about Kurt Warner, the football player. He was the uh, quarterback for the St. Louis Rams, and 
it's a it's a really good movie, and uh, part of the story that is is a big part of the, it's a big part of the story is that Warner he leads this team this Rams team to a Super Bowl in 1999, and this team is being coached by uh, Dick Vermeil, and he he had been out of coaching for like over a decade, and they brought him back and let him be the coach, made him the coach. Then they got Warner, who is this 28 year old rookie who's a backup at best, but now they've made him, uh, Trent Green goes down, he was the guy, and he goes down in a preseason, so they make Warner the quarterback, and so nobody anywhere thought that uh, the Rams were going to have any chance to do anything important or, or have a good season, let alone end up going to the Super Bowl and winning. And so what happens is this definition of a Cinderella season, and many consider it one of the greatest NFL seasons of all time. And as I was thinking about that, the point of the story, the point that goes into my mind is that it's one thing to take like an NFL team of lowly stature and be able to coach them all the way to the Super Bowl and and for them to have a victory. That's impressive, but it's nothing it's nothing when compared to the miracle that God chooses us and takes us who are spiritually dead, who are weak and, and lowly people, and he uses us and builds us into the body of Christ, which is the church, and then he uses us to reach the nations. That's amazing. That's, I mean, far and beyond what a great story that was in that movie. The story that we are living, that you and I are a part of as Christians, is so much greater than that. So what Paul has here and and what he's wanting to impart on this young church and what he even wants to pass along to us as as readers of this letter almost 2,000 years later is he has this proper view of Christ, this proper view of God. And that's what I want us to look at today. So starting in chapter 2, verse 1, just follow along with me as we read. It says this, and when I came to you, this is Paul speaking, and when I came to you, brothers, uh, I came not proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so, right off the bat, what I want you to see here (laughs) is that Paul is repeating himself. Um, Even though we're only into the second chapter of this letter, we've already seen Paul say this same thing in a very similar way several times in chapter 1. If you look back at verse 17 in chapter 1, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be of Christ be emptied of its power. And then again in verse 23, it says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Now, as a father... I've become very familiar with this idea of having to repeat myself. Uh, Most days, I feel like a broken record. Aubrey, I love her. Feed the dogs. Feed the chickens. Clean up this mess. I mean, I love my kids. I love them. But some days, I just about lose my mind. And I mean, how do we not know at this point that animals need to be fed to stay alive? (laughs) 
We need to feed these animals. Um, but that's kind of what we see here in Paul because Paul is acting as the spiritual father to all these young Christians in this young church. He's making this point that you have to crawl before you walk. And step one is to not overcomplicate the truth of the gospel. Um, we live in a, in, a, in a very rapidly advancing techno, uh, technological world. And, and something we see today is this rise of social media. And we've actually had new careers, so to speak, pop up uh, because of this. There's something now known as a, a, an influencer, a social influencer. And an influencer is someone that builds up uh, a social media following, um, and, and they use that social status to, to impart their opinions or their preferences of, of products on, on their followers. And if you're my age or older, that may sound like no big deal and, and yeah. may sound like silly. But the truth is that there's dozens of these influencers that are, most of them in their early to mid-20s, making tens of millions of dollars a year pushing products and ideas on hundreds of millions of followers. And it's, it's crazy how it's turned advertising on its head. I mean, traditional advertising just doesn't know what to do with it because it's, this, is, this is something completely new and different. So we think. I mean, if you listen to Solomon, wise King Solomon, he says there's nothing new under the sun. And when I was studying this, I found this to be really interesting. You see, during Paul's day, they actually had something very similar to these modern-day influencers. They, they had these people that were called sophists. And it, to have success back then you, in, in politics or religion or in business, you needed to be trained in this skill of rhetoric. And that's what these sophists did. They taught you how to be a smooth talker with smooth delivery. So what these sophists would do is they would set up schools to teach students how, how to debate, how to speak with eloquence, how to use persuasive techniques, how to entertain. Um, and if you were any good at this, parents would come and be like, hey, you, you're that sophist guy that's really good. I'll pay you this much money to take my son on and you teach him your ways. And that's exactly what would happen is these young people would hook onto these sophists and become their disciples. And they would even learn to mimic their delivery, their speech and their delivery. And what Paul is saying here, this is very big in this part of the world. And so what Paul is saying here very pointedly is, I am not a sophist. I'm not this guy. I came to give you a very simple message of Christ crucified. I, I purposely did not choose to use theatrics or big words or uh, um, grandiose you know, deliveries so that y you would focus just on Jesus Christ in him and not me because it's not about me, it's about him. So how does that translate to you and me today? And I would say it simply means that you don't have to be this eloquent speaker, you don't have to even get up here and preach. You don't have to, you don't have, to have a seminary degree. You don't have to uh, be a trained preacher or a deacon or even a church member. You don't have to be any of those things to know Christ crucified, to know that Jesus has died for you in your place for your sins and saved you, and you can share that with somebody else. 
this is this is a tough thing to hear right here. <clears throat> Studies have shown that the vast majority majority of American Christians, just like we looked at this morning, I mean, you saw Canada, you saw uh, uh, America, you saw Latin America. I mean, we're looking at 80% that claims Christianity, right? 80%. Looks good on a slide. But the underlying studies show that the vast majority of American Christians have never shared the gospel with not even one person. And, And the reasons often given is, well, I don't know what I would say, or I'm not a preacher. And it, and it boils down to, basically, unpreparedness and fear. Um, unpreparedness and fear. And so that brings us to verse 3. Follow along with me there. Look at what it, Paul says. Paul talking. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And I read that as I was studying this. I thought, wow, that's, that's a big statement to me. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't think I've ever stopped to think about Paul and think, was he a fearful person? I mean, when I read Acts, when I read his letters, I see Paul and I see him as this this picture of bravery, as this picture of confidence. I mean, he went through a lot. And and he seemed to, to do it with such bravery and confidence. But here we see him in his own words admit that he is weak and fearful. And so, as I dug into this, I thought, well, here's a, this is a pretty major aha moment right here. And we see that Paul's afraid, but what is the source of Paul's fear? So what is the source of this fear? And I would say that ever since the day that Paul came face to face with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he had this major worldview shift, all right? This major paradigm shift. He was made a new person and given a new spirit that caused his mind to be recalibrated. Before that day, Paul was fearful of the world and men just like every other natural man. But since that day, he shifted his fear to King Jesus, the one who rules over the world and men. You see, the proof is in the pudding. All you have to do is read about Paul. He did everything as unto the Lord. He ran the good race. He fought the good fight. He went through shipwrecks, through snake bites, through imprisonment, through beating, through all of those things because he wanted to serve the Lord. So while the majority of the Christians in this in our world never shared their faith because of the fear of what others think. Paul, on the other hand, is saying here, I'm fearful not to share the gospel. I'm fearful not to follow my King Jesus and to receive all the glory that he has for me and to press his glory out into the world. And that's a, I think that's a tough word. And I, and I would say, don't take it just, just because of me saying it. I, I think we should look at Scripture to, uh, to see if it supports it. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this in James 4.17, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So the question is, what is the right thing to do? And, and Jesus tells us his final marching orders before he ascends into heaven in Matthew 28.18-20, which is a major scripture that we use here very often in this church, 
says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So if you don't do the right thing, it's sin. And if the right thing is to follow the commands of Jesus, just like he said... What happens if we don't? I think that's a reasonable question. What happens if we don't follow the, man, uh, the commands of Jesus? And here we see Jesus offer a very blunt answer to this. In Matthew 10, Jesus speaking says this, But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. The next gospel, the gospel of Mark, says this, Mark 8, 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the many holy angels. Luke 12, 9 says this, But whoever denies me before men will be denied before the God, before the angels of God. So these words of Christ aren't taught a lot on Sunday. I mean, I've been a Christian my whole life, and I've, I've heard these in Bible studies and whatnot, but I don't know if I've ever heard them taught from a pulpit on Sunday. And it's, and it's very interesting because they carry enough weight and enough importance that they're in multiple Gospels, three out of the four Gospels, multiple times. So that brings us back to Paul. You see, when Paul, is, he's different from the apostles the rest of the apostles, the rest of the disciples, because the rest of the disciples knew Jesus as this lowly, humble servant teacher. But, but when Paul meets Jesus, he meets him as King Jesus, as risen in all his glory. He sees Jesus on the throne. So when a king tells you what to do, you follow the king. And you do it, and pr- the proper response is, is a a healthy fear of that king. So what does Paul do next? He drives his point home again by repeating himself as a spiritual father to these young Christians. Verses 4 and 5, he says this, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Once again, He's, he's pointing to the power of the Spirit and the power of God and not his own power. He continues on in verses 6 through 13. He says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. For... Uh, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of the person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand these 
things freely given to us by God. What we impart, uh, and we impart this in word, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So a few things that pop out to me in this section here are in verse 7 there, a secret and hidden wisdom. And then in verse 10, he talks about these things that God revealed to us through the Spirit. And then in the end of verse 12 is uh, these things freely given to us. So what are these things? What is this secret and hidden wisdom that God has given us? And And it's only by the revelation of the Spirit. And these things are the message of the cross of Christ. And it's all the things that are centered and, and found in Jesus Christ. And that includes the plans uh, for God's salvation that go all the way back to the very beginning uh, before the foundation of the world, world and travel all the way to the future of eternity. Um, Paul says in Acts 20, 27, he calls it the whole counsel of God. That, are, that is the secret things. That is this wisdom, this hidden wisdom of God. And Paul is saying um, that without the working of the Holy Spirit, you can't know these things. You cannot know these things. Look what he goes on to say in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And without a doubt... It's, it's an undeniable fact that each and every one of us here this morning in this room were born physically alive but spiritually dead. We were born as these, this natural person that Paul's talking about here. And, and the thing is that Paul says it very clearly. No natural person can accept the things of God. That is why... Out of God's great loving kindness, he made a way for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son that we can be made alive, spiritually alive, and be filled with the very spirit here that it says up here, the very spirit that searches even the depths of God. It's not a different spirit. It's the spirit that searches the depths of God that is given to us. That is amazing. So what Paul's doing here, he's just, he's determined He is determined to hammer this point home. He's like, you have to see this. You've got to get this. This is of primary importance. You can't move forward until you better focus on these fundamental principles. You cannot get the cart before the horse. You have to understand this. You have to focus on these things. And he ends this chapter with a pretty solid statement. It says, the spiritual uh, person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understand the mind of Christ, or the mind of the Lord, as to instruct him? And then the final statement, but we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. So a breakdown of, of, of 15, real quick, to make it kind of modern day English, is that basically, as a person that has the Holy Spirit, You're going to be able, once you're saved, once the Lord has chosen you and moved his spirit into you, you're going to be able to understand and comprehend all things with better discernment and ability than the rest of the fallen world that they're they're not going to be able to understand. When you're made a new creation in Christ and when you start to live in a new way 
with, with new patterns, with new words, with new actions, the, the old world is not going to understand that. They don't have the spirit of discernment. They don't have the Holy Spirit on them. He continues on in, in verse 16 where uh, he quotes Isaiah 40, verse 13. Uh, he says, um, uh, for, for who has understand the, understood the mind of Christ? I'm sorry. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? He's, he's, he's continuing this idea of, listen, it's, it's going to be a bumpy road living in a fallen world where the majority of people don't have the mind of Christ, don't have the Holy Spirit on them because they're not going to understand what, you, what you're trying to do. Some are going to be perplexed. Some are, of them are going to be so mad that they're going to turn and want to destroy you. But once again, he makes this very bold, hard, unifying uh, statement. And, and in the Greek, there's, there's major emphasis put on this. He says, but we, there's major emphasis there, but we have the mind of Christ. He's like, yeah, there's going to be bickering and fighting and troubles and hardships, but we have the mind of Christ. You've got to focus on this. You can't move forward. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Stop trying to go this way with this or this way with that. I follow Paul. I, fo uh, I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. Stop it. Come back to the foundation. Come back to Christ. That's what he's doing. Don't, don't scatter over minor issues. Focus on the main thing. The main thing being Jesus Christ. He goes on in, in I mean, just a, a, a precursor to chapter 3. He goes on and talks about, at the start of chapter 3, a subset of Christians who, who are called carnal Christians. And basically that simply means that people that claim Christ but live in a worldly way and... Uh, for whatever reason. And, and so he's going to address that in the next chapter. But right here, he's making his stand. He's putting his foot down. He's saying that we, if you have Christ and Christ is in you, you, by the Holy Spirit, have the mind of Christ. So the challenge this week ahead of us is how will we use this mind of Christ? What will we think? Will we think as he thinks? Will we use our mind to Christ to guide our words and our actions? Will we be unashamed of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ? As Paul made abundantly clear, you don't have to be some classically trained public speaker to share the message of Jesus Christ with a friend or neighbor. You don't. I encourage each of you, I encourage, I mean, I encourage just each one of us, myself included, to be praying for these opportunities to run into people that, are, that have lost hope or are hopeless and, and us to be able to show them the hope that we have in our lives. Uh, 
I pray that not only do we get those opportunities, but we're emboldened to make the best of those opportunities. And um, uh, you need hope? Let me tell you about Jesus. Um, I know my personal testimony is, you know, I'm, I'm broken, I was, I was fallen, I was, I was living in sin, and, and Jesus Christ, I, I, somebody introduced me to him and told me that each one of us are broken and we need a way out, and there's a Redeemer, and his name is Jesus. He's the Son of God. And he came and died in our place for our sins so that we may be reconciled to this one true God and we may live and serve him for eternity. And all we have to do is call on his name. Can you tell people that? It's that simple. I don't have that written down here. I know it in my heart because he saved me. That's what he did for me. And if he saved you, you know he did it for you too. So you've got that same spirit in you, the spirit that searches the very depths of God. So I, I pray that we, we pray for an opportunity and then, and then when we're confronted by that opportunity, we, we in boldness share that, the message of hope, which is Jesus. I've, I've thought this over the years. I've, I, I've written it down multiple times in different ways and I, it's basically this I cannot help but stop and think what would the Lord allow us to see and experience if we just fully trusted and faithfully followed him he's given us the mind of Christ so let's put it into good work good use this week